Shalom, this is Avigal Rak. Welcome to TanakhStudy.com. In our class today, finally, Yaakov gets to be reunited with his son Yosef. We begin chapter 46, verse 28. Ve'et Yehuda shalach lefanav el Yosef, lehorot lefanav goshna, v'yavor arza goshen. Yaakov sends Yehuda ahead of him in order to pave the way to Goshen, and they arrived in the land of Goshen. The verse, Ve'et Yehuda shalach lefanav, Goshna, that Yaakov sent Yehuda, teaches us that Yehuda now receives a new role in the family. Yehuda here is becoming the leader. Yehuda, as a result of him taking responsibility towards Binyamin, receives here official recognition and official status of as the leader of the family. Yehuda is sent. This pasuk reminds us very much of one of the psukim that we had started out our studies with when Yaakov sends Yosef to his brothers. In chapter 37, it says, Yaakov tells Yosef, your brothers are in Shechem, go check upon them, v'yishalchehu me'emek chevron. In this verse, Yaakov sends Yosef to seek his brothers. We suggested then, perhaps, to make peace with his brothers. Lech nare'et shlom achecha. Yosef arrives at his brothers in Shechem, and it is Yehuda who suggested to sell him. What a change Yehuda has undergone in the past 22 years from the Yehuda who had suggested to sell his brother through the Yehuda who is willing to sit in Mitzrayim, remain in Mitzrayim as a slave, and now that using almost the same words, Ve'et Yehuda shalach lefanav goshna, now Yaakov can send Yehuda as the leader of the family ahead of him to pave the way. On a shot level, it's not exactly clear what is Yehuda's assignment, but it's what is clear here is Yehuda is the leader of the family. He is supposed to prepare for the family. Maybe it's to prepare the the route that they should be traveling, perhaps prepare the accommodations, be, whatever it is, Yehuda is at the front, and this is a role that Yehuda is going to take later on when they travel in the desert. Yehuda is going to be the leading tribe towards Eretz Yisrael, Degel Machane Yehuda, that travels at the front. Yaakov specifically sends Yehuda to the land of Goshen. He chooses this territory in Mitzrayim for his family. He had not yet received an official permission from Paro to live in Goshen, but in the meantime, that's where they're going to be settling temporarily, hoping that that can continue to a more permanent dwelling for the family of Yaakov. Where's the land of Goshen? There have been many debates among archaeologists as to where exactly is the, is the land of Goshen. Some identify the Goshen to be northeast of the Delta Nile, others southeast of the Delta Niles, and then there's a third opinion that suggested it is uh, west of the Nile. So we don't really know exactly where Goshen is. From what we know in Tanakh, it is fertile land, which is why that suggested that it is by the Nile. And in uh, just a few moments, we'll find out why exactly does Yaakov want his family to dwell in the land of Goshen. Meanwhile, as Yehuda is going to pave the way, let's continue. Verse 29. Yosef saddles up his chariot, 
goes up to greet his father Yisrael. He appears in front of his father. He falls on his neck and continuously cries. I think there's the pasuk we've all been waiting for. We knew it would come, and yet we've all been waiting for this verse when Yaakov and Yosef finally meet. Yosef is described as saddling up his chariot, and it's not significant whether he did it himself or whether he had had his servants doing this for him. The point of telling us that he is saddling his chariot is to show the excitement of Yosef. And Yosef goes to greet his father, The continuation of this pasuk is ambiguous. After we've been told that Yosef had saddled his chariot to greet his father in Goshen, it says, and he appeared to him, and he fell on his neck, and he continuously cried. And it's not clear from the pasuk who appeared to whom, who fell on whose neck, and who cried. And there's an interesting machloket, which Necham Olibowitz always like to bring, between Rashi and Ramban on this verse. According to Rashi, it is Yosef who sees his father, and Yosef, when he sees his father, he falls upon his neck and he cries. And Yaakov is saying Kriyat Shema during this time. Rashi doesn't say why is Yaakov saying Kriyat Shema during this time. It is possible that Rashi, what Rashi is trying to say, that in this greatest moment in, Yosef, in Yaakov's life, Yaakov dedicates the moment to God. It is possible that in this greatest moment he says Kriyat Shema because now he is ready to die. And possibly the reason Rashi has Yaakov reciting here Kriyat Shema, we had spoken about Yaakov who has very conflicting feelings as he enters Egypt. The first thing he does when he enters Egypt is to remind himself and remind his family, Shema Yisrael, Hashem Elokeinu, Hashem Echad. Shema Yisrael, he listened to the children of Am Yisrael, that our God is the one God. So according to Rashi, the entire pasuk is describing the actions of Yosef. Yosef is the one who sees his father. Yosef is the one who falls upon his father. And Yosef, who's the one who... The word od, according to Rashi, means a lot. Yosef is crying a lot. And we know that is very befitting for Yosef, because Yosef has been crying several times, and here's an additional time when he finally sees his father. However, Ramban argues with Rashi, and Ramban uses psychology in order to understand the pasuk. And Ramban says, if we imagine to ourselves this moment where Yosef and Yaakov finally meet, at this moment, who is more likely to be more emotional? Who is more likely to be crying nonstop at this moment? Is it Yaakov who has been living in a state of sorrow and mourning for the past 22 years? Who has been thinking of Yosef nonstop? Yaakov who describes his life as being over from the time he had seen the bloodied ketonet? Is he more likely to cry? Or is more likely to cry Yosef, who has been living as a prince and, he's, and he knows his father is alive? Who's more likely to cry at this moment? In the beautiful language of Ramban, It is a well-known thing who is more likely to cry. Who is more likely to cry? Is this the, the old elderly father who finally finds his son after a long time period of mourning? Or the prince? 
clearly the father is more likely to be crying here. And with that understanding of the Pasuk, Ramban explains everything else. What does it mean? And he appeared to him, and he'd, see, and he'd seen him. Yaakov, at this point, is, is elderly. He can't see so well. And in front of him comes this man in a chariot with a turban on his head, wearing Egyptian clothing. It takes him time to identify him. Vayera Elav is expressing that time where he recognizes that this is my son. Once he recognizes Yosef, he falls upon his neck. And then he cries. And according to Ramban, Od is not a lot, but Od means more. Continuing to cry, as he always had cried, Yaakov, when he mourns for Yosef, it says, Aviv. And here, he can, Od means more, he continues to cry, only these are different tears. Now, the truth is, based on the Pshat, it's really hard to tell which one is crying, and both Ramban and Rashi have very ar- good arguments. Ramban, using human psychology, Rashi, by saying that Yaakov is not crying, is really telling us Yaakov, though very excited to see his son, is coming to Egypt with a heavy heart. And he has other concerns on his mind, concerns regarding the nation of Am Yisrael. Let's continue. Verse 30. Yaakov tells Yosef, Vayomer Yisrael el Yosef, Amuta hapa'am acharei reuti et panecha, ki odcha chai. I'm ready to die now that I've seen you, for you are, you are alive. This pasuk is exactly parallel to the first words of Yaakov when he was first informed that Yosef is alive. It says, Yosef, my son, is alive. I shall go see him before I die. Yaakov said three things. My son Yosef is alive. I shall go see him before I die. And let's pay attention now to this verse. Yaakov says to Yosef, I am ready to die, amuta hapam, for I have seen you, panecha, ki chai, for you are alive. And what does it mean, amuta hapam, I'll die this time? Hapam in Tanakh does not, can mean this time, as opposed to a previous time, in which case what Yaakov is saying, this time, I really am ready to die. Yaakov said he wanted to die earlier, after he'd seen the ketonet. He said, Ki ered avel she'ola. After seeing the bloody ketonet, thinking his son is dead, he wants to die. He said his life is over. Now, after he's seen Yosef alive, now he said, I am really ready to die. Perhaps also the pasuk is telling us, the only thing that kept Yaakov alive is the desire to see his son. And that's why he says, this time I can die. Ramban says the word hapa'am doesn't only mean, does not necessarily mean this time. It can mean now. Like Adam says, zot hapa'am etzematzamai basami psari. After the woman was created from his rib, now this is a part of me. And so the word hapam can mean now, in which case Yaakov is saying, 
Now I am ready to die. I don't need it. What else do I need in life? That's what he said when he, as soon as he heard that Yosef is alive. I want to see him before I die. After this, he's had everything. There's nothing else he needs in his life. So the Torah doesn't give us much information other than the crying between Yaakov and Yosef and that one sentence. We're not told about any conversation that takes place. As we mentioned several times, it would be very interesting to know what exactly did they talk about during this first meeting. But unfortunately, the Torah does not reveal that to us. And the story now continues to describe Yosef and his brothers who are about to appear in front of Paro. Verse 31. So Yosef tells his brothers and his father's household, I'm going to go up and talk to Paro. And this is what I'm going to tell him. I'm going to tell him that my brothers and my father's household from the land of Canaan had come to me. And the men are shepherds, for they have owned flock, and they've come with their sheep and their cattle, and everything that they have owned, they had brought with them. Then Yosef continues to tell the brothers, what should they say if Paro requests to speak to them? Verse 33, If Paro should call you in and ask you, what is it that you do? What is your occupation? And this is what you should say, tell Paro. You should say, Paro, you are men of cattle. You own cattle from, the time, from, from time and beyond. This is a family profession. Us, our fathers... And, Yaakov, and Yosef tells him, the reason you should say this is so that he gives you the land of Goshen. For shepherding is an abomination in the eyes of the Egyptians. A few classes ago, we spoke about Paro's excitement to have Yosef's brothers. Paro's, the way Paro sees things, if Yosef is so successful, so if I have another 11 like Yosef's, that will make... Egypt into a mega empire. Egypt is a huge land. Perhaps he would divide up the 12 brothers into different areas in Mitzrayim. Each one would be in charge of some area within Egypt. And as a result, not only would this completely split up the family of, e of Yaakov, worse than that, the family would be completely assimilated. A family that is dispersed over the entire land of Egypt Will, not, will no longer be the sons of Yaakov, will no longer be B'nai Yisrael. This will no longer be a nation. It will be dispersed tribes amongst a foreign culture. They will eventually become Egyptians if they do not dwell together as one family. That is the reason that Yaakov sends Yehuda to prepare Goshen. He wants the land of Goshen, not necessarily because there's something unique about the, the land of Goshen, but he wants his sons to be in one location. He wants the family to be together. Yosef recognizes his father's concern, and therefore that is the first thing he's going to address with Paro. Before Paro appoints the brothers as leaders and gives them positions in his empire, 
it is important to Yosef to approach Paro, and Yosef is going to need to use a great deal of cleverness and understanding of Paro in order to convince him that having his brothers settle within the land of Canaan is what's best for Egypt. And let's just notice a, some interesting words that Yosef is going plans to use when speaking to Paro. And he says, "My father, my brothers, and my father's family have come to me." Yosef emphasizes they have come to me in order to clarify that they are not coming here in order to serve Paro. They have come here as my guest. But that clearly is not going to be enough in the Egyptian empire. In Egypt, one does not have the luxury of choosing whether or not he is going to be a servant to the king or not. And that's why Yosef is going to continue by using his uh, wisdom, psychology, and his knowledge of the Egyptian culture and an understanding of Paro's personality. So Yosef continues to tell his brothers what he intends on telling Paro. He plans on telling them that the men are shepherds and they are anshe mikne. There's a difference between ro'et son and anshe mikne. Ro'et son is a job, is an, is an occupation, is someone who generally is hired out to be someone else's shepherd. An ish mikne is a well-established, wealthy person. It is a man who owns cattle. We are people, the people that have come are men of cattle, and they are not going to be a burden on the economy. They are actually very wealthy people. They have come here with all their flock, with the sheep and with the cattle, everything that they've owned, they have brought. So this is in order to present Paro, the brothers, as very wealthy people who will not be a strain on the Egyptian economy. And Yosef tells his brothers, if Paro will invite you in, Tell them, describe yourselves as Anshe Mikne. Don't describe yourselves as a Nebuch shepherds. Describe yourself as powerful people. You are the owners of flock. And this is all, describe yourself as that this is what you've been doing forever. And you don't really know to do anything else. You have no other experience. You have no other expertise. The only profession you are familiar with is cattle. And Yosef ends, the reason you should focus on the cattle is so that you will receive the land of Goshen. For shepherding is considered an abomination in the Egyptian culture. The commentators are conflicted in trying to understand how is the fact that shepherding was considered an abomination amongst Egyptians a reason for Paro to grant their desire to live in the land of Goshen. So, for example, Rabbi Yosef Bechor Shor says, since they cannot, the Egyptians cannot be shepherds, they respect those who are shepherds because they can do the job that they can't do. And therefore, they will grant you your wish because they desire shepherds to come and dwell amongst them. Uh, most commentators, however, say since it is an abomination, they will agree that you all should live in one secluded area and not be mixed amongst them. So up to now was the prep. Yosef is telling the brothers, I'm going to go in, I'm going to start talking, and the Paro might want to interview you, might want to invite you, and when he invites you, this is what you shall say. So now let's see what happens once, as Yosef goes in to Paro. Chapter 47, verse 1. So as we said, first Yosef is going to enter. Vayavo Yosef vayaged the Pharaoh vayomer. 
אביב ואחי וצונם ובקרם וכל אשר להם באו מארץ כנען והינם בארץ גושן. So he first says, my father, my brothers, all of their flock, they have everything that they've owned, they all came from כנען. And they are in the land of Goshen. Now, what he had originally planned to say to Paro, and they have come to me. I guess even someone like Yosef, once he speaks to Paro, loses a little bit his confidence, and he can't say they've come to me. He said they've come here, and they are in the land of Goshen. Now, Yosef doesn't tell Paro that they are living in the land of Goshen. They are in the land of Goshen. Hinam be'eretz Goshen. That means that's their temporary dwelling and location. For now. The reason it's important to Yosef to mention that they are there now in Eretz Goshen, so that later on when he requests it, it's going to be something very natural. And let them just stay where they already put their suitcases down. They already set up their tents already there, so let them already stay there. It's not to make such a big deal of it. They're already there. It's a very natural place for, their, for them to continue living. Now, Paro does not ask to see his brothers. Yosef here at this point offers. Verse 2, Yosef presents to Paro five of his brothers. Yosef does not present to all of them. He presents five. What is the word mikze echav? Mikzat echav. Not all of them, a small portion of them. However, several of the commentators point out that the word mikze, um, means from the ktsavot, from the fringe. He introduces the weakest of his brothers, of the less impressive ones. He doesn't choose a big guy like Yehuda. He chooses those who are more nebuchal looking, those who won't make such an impression. He's about to ask Paro to release them from duty, to release them from some assignment that Paro must have had in his mind when he was so excited and enthusiastic about these brothers coming down to Egypt, where he tells them, just leave all your belongings in Egypt and come down as soon as possible. So he wants to get Paro a little bit less excited and, not, and to give Paro the sense that not having these guys is not such a big loss for Egypt. Look at these Nebuch guys. So he presents them. In front of Paro, verse 3, Paro asks his brothers, as Yosef had predicted, what is it that you do? And they told Paro, we, your servants, are shepherds, us and our fathers. Now this is not exactly what Yosef had told the brothers to tell Paro. Yosef had told the brothers to make it seem that they are well-established people. They are not coming in order to be sustained by the Egyptian economy. They have their own flocks. They are wealthy people. They are And But when they come in front of Paro, they, they lose that confidence and they present themselves as rights on. We are shepherds for a living. Not they don't present themselves the way Yosef wanted them to present themselves as Anshemikne. The brothers continue in verse four. Vayomru Pao Lagur Baaretz Banu ki ain mir elatsona shirla vadecha ki chavedaraav beeretz knan veata yeshvuna vadecha beeretz goshen. The brothers continue to tell Paro, we came to live in this land, for we have no grazing area in our land. For there is the famine, there is a very heavy famine in Canaan. And now please allow us to live in the land of Goshen. 
This too is not was not in the script that Yosef had handed them. They were not supposed to make it sound as if Paro is coming to give to do some great favor. Yosef does not want a situation where the brothers are beholden to Paro. Yosef wants them to come from a standpoint of power. Yosef wanted them to say, "We've come here. We have our flock." And Paro, on his own, would have offered them the land of Goshen. That was Yosef's plan. Tell Paro, you live, he, he, Yosef already told Paro that they live in the land of Goshen. And now all the brothers needed to come is to just to introduce themselves as powerful people who have come to visit Yosef. Not even mentioning that they have come because they need to be sustained. But the brothers, when standing in front of Paro, are not accustomed to royalty and they're practically begging for the land of Goshen and they say we come because we need the food because there is a famine and uh, please let us uh, stay and give us the land of Goshen verse 5 is Paro's response so the brothers might not have followed the exact script that Yosef would have liked them to follow, but the result is a, is a very pleasing result. Paro tells Yosef, your father and your brothers have come to you. If at first Paro is excited about these, these brothers that are coming, after he sees these Nebuch-looking brothers, and he sees their whole Nebuch approach, he tells Yosef, I don't need these guys. They've come to you. Bao Eilecha. Eretz Mitzrayim lefanecha hi. Here, you, Eretz Mitzrayim is in front of you. You can settle them wherever you desire. Hoshevet avicha vetachecha. Vim yadata, if you happen to know of any of your brothers that might be somewhat impressive and outstanding, then let me know that yadata, if you happen to know, really gives the sense to the reader that that Paro is quite skeptic about Yosef being able to find any, if at all, on Chayil amongst his brothers. And Paro ends off, if you know if they have any on Chayil, let me know and point them, Sare Mikne Alashirli. Paro might have had some great plans for these brothers to have some sort of equivalent position or something similar to Yosef's position in charge of the land of Paro, and now it's sufficient for him if you have anybody who's uh, capable and uh, not too much of a shlomiel, if he could just, he'll just be in charge of my flock, to be the sarei mikne upon the flock that I own. So I think we could call this meeting a success, because at the end of the day, they receive the land of Goshen. And now, verse 7, Yosef is going to introduce Yaakov to Paro. Yosef brings Yaakov, his father, and he presents him in front of Paro, and Yaakov blesses Paro. This is the second time Yosef, in a very short time period, is presenting someone in front of Paro. At first he presented his brothers, now he's presenting his father. There's a difference between the way each one of them are, is presented. With the brothers, it says he lehatzig, he presented. With the father, it is vayamidehu. And the word, the word vayamidehu stems from the word laamod, which literally would mean he supported him. The reason we have different words here... Lehatzig, regarding the brothers, 
to present as opposed to to support regarding the father is what is Yosef trying to accomplish with the brothers Yosef wants to make the brothers seem less significant than they really are less talented than they really are less capable than they really are with Yaakov it is the opposite Yaakov is weak and elderly and Yosef wants Yaakov to seem less of a nebuch and therefore vayamidehu Yosef is helping his father stand Yosef is proud of his father and he wants his father to appear in front of Paro in a very respectful dignified way vayamidehu lifnei Paro and Yaakov blesses Paro the blessing here is to greet him perhaps there was some sort of formal blessing to the king and now we're about to hear an interesting conversation between Paro and Yaakov. Verse 8. Vayomer Paro el Yaakov. Kam yemei shnei chayecha? Vayomer Yaakov el Paro. Yemei shnei megurai shloshim ma'at shana. Ma'at v'raim hayu yemei shnei chayai. V'lo hisigu et yemei shnei chayai avotai. B'yemei megurihen. So Paro asked Yaakov. How old are you? And Yaakov told Paro. My, the years of my life are 130 years. They are few and bad, the years of my life. And I did not achieve what my fathers have achieved in their lifetime. This entire conversation is a very bizarre conversation. It is very bizarre for Pro to start a conversation with Yaakov by saying, How old are you? Now, in modern culture, asking someone for their age is considered disrespectful. That's because modern Western culture values youth. In Tanakh, an age of a person, and the older a person was, the more worthy he was of respect. So people were not embarrassed or ashamed of their age. It was, one thing to, it was something to be proud of. A person of old age is a person with great wisdom, a person with experience. So it wasn't considered a rude question to ask Yaakov, how old are you? But it is considered a strange question. It is an odd way of striking a conversation with your guest by Kna from Canaan by saying, how old are you? Um, I, the best Peirush to understand Paro's question is, is suggested by Rabbi Yosef Ibn Kaspi. Actually, he says it wasn't his Peirush. He said he was traveling and he bumped into a certain individual, and this person had asked Rabbi Yosef Ibn Kaspi for the interpretation of this pasuk. What is this meaning of Paro's question? And Rabbi Yosef Ibn Kaspi said he didn't have any great answer. And then the guy said, I have an answer to give you. And he said, this is not a question. Paro is not asking Yaakov, how old are you? It is a statement. When Paro sees Yaakov walking in, ya Yaakov looks exceptionally old and Paro is astounded by this very old looking man and he cries out which really means it's oh my how old are you it's a statement that Paro is making in surprise the sentence kama should not be read as a question he's saying this as an exclamation to which Yaakov answers I'm not that old. I look a lot older than I really am. Verse 9, Yaakov tells Paro, I've lived only 130 years. The reason I look so bad is because I've had a bad life. Yaakov 
and I did not achieve that which my fathers had achieved in their lifetime. And there's two ways of understanding. What is it that Yaakov did not achieve that his fathers did achieve? One possibility is I am very old now, and my but my fathers lived a much longer life than I am. I'm ready to die, but my fathers lived till 180, 175. The other way of understanding is that Yaakov is saying, I did not achieve what my fathers had achieved, and that is my fathers had a good life. They enjoyed life. I did not accomplish that. My life was a life of suffering. With that, the conversation between Paro and Yaakov is over. Yaakov blesses Paro again. Perhaps that blessing at the end is bidding him goodbye or asking permission to leave, as was customary, and he leaves. And a very interesting question that we have to ask here is what is the meaning of this three, four psukim of conversation between Yaakov and Paro? In what way does it contribute to the story? Perhaps the importance of these verses is to tell us that even though at the end of the day it had a happy ending, Yaakov still views his life as a very difficult, hard, challenging, sad life. Even after he's been reunited with Yosef, he describes his life as me'at v'ra'im. And the question is, is that how he's going to end up leaving this world? Is he going to die with that same feeling? Or perhaps the years he spends with Yosef will change something? For that, we will have to continue in our studies. Shalom.